And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome back. I'm Tom Laurie. Our guest mentor this week is a second-generation physicist, a biotech entrepreneur, and former public company CEO, Safi Bacall. Safi is known widely beyond the world of biotech as the author of Loon Shots, which was the number one most recommended book of the year in 2019, has been translated into 18 languages, and has since sold more than 250,000 copies a remarkable achievement which makes Macmillan very happy. The book's subtitle is Nurture the Crazy Ideas that Win Wars, Cure Diseases, and Transform Industries. Safi, welcome to The Mentors, and let's get started by telling my audience, our audience now, what is a loon shot? Loon shot is a a small, seemingly crazy idea that everybody writes off as nuts, the champion is often dismissed by powers that be as someone who's just crazy and then turns out to be very important. And the reason that it matters, everybody knows what a moonshot is, this big destination that everybody's excited about. But the things that really make a difference that can change the course of history or can change the course of battles and certainly can transform industries are those small little ideas that are sort of skating beneath the surface that everybody is written off and dismissed as crazy. And there wasn't a good word in the English language for it, so I made one up. Well, we're going to be talking about some of the loan chats so people have an idea exactly what we're talking about. But what, but what was it that inspired you to write this book? And, it's, and did you expect it to be as successful as it's been? Uh, well, I expected to have at least... Uh, Two readers, my wife and my mother, and uh, I was disappointed. I'm not sure my wife has actually finished it, <laughs> but my mother definitely read it. No, it was it was definitely a surprise how many people uh, reached out from CEOs. So this morning, I got an email from a 19 year old, you know, want to be YouTuber, and then I got one yesterday from a a girl who wants to be a singer in Korea. You know, about how. It inspires them how it and one of the things that it didn't occur to me in the beginning was the stories that I tell, whether it's, you know, the rise and fall of Pan Am or Steve Jobs or Isaac Newton, how they're connected by this one idea, this one idea from physics. The fact that all these sort of famous people failed so many times before they succeeded, Steve Jobs was written off as an idiot, as a business moron because he failed several times. What that does is it gives people hope when they're being dismissed about their own crazy ideas, that maybe there's a path. Maybe you just need to persist. Maybe there's some techniques and some skills you can learn, the kind of stuff that I read about that can help you when you pursue your own crazy ideas. Now, to provide some context, uh, your parents were both uh, physicists. I guess one of them was an astrophysicist, maybe both. I think you list yourself as an astrophysicist. So I, I'm curious because I'm in the biotech industry. How did you find your way into biotech? And was your uh, biotech venture a loon shot? Well, I think most early stage ventures uh, are loon shots. You're pursuing ideas that most people have written off. Um I got interested in it when my father, uh, I had been in academic science for many years, but then I transitioned into the business world. I was working at a consulting firm in New York called McKinsey Management Consulting. Um, but my father got sick with a, a rare type of uh, leukemia. And I noticed over the years how many promising ideas seemed sort of trapped either inside universities or inside the basements of large or even small companies. And I wanted to see if I could do something that 
made a difference. It was bigger than just me or my resume or advising companies, but actually could give people more time on earth with their loved ones. And that that's the kind of thing that would make me really excited to wake up Monday morning and motivate a team to, to work hard. And is kind of indirectly what led to the book Loon Shots, which is why do so many good teams kill great ideas, even though individually every every person on that team is excited about wild new ideas. Now, let's since we're both in the biotech world, and since everybody's interested in biotech and the application of uh, science to solving disease. Tell us briefly, we've got about three minutes, maybe a little less than three minutes, but tell us briefly about uh, our good friend back in Japan and the development of the uh, uh, you know, Lipitor, uh, the cholesterol-fighting drugs, uh, and the, the, a little bit about that adventure. Sure. Well, it, I, I think I use that one to illustrate the three deaths of the loonshot idea, which is something that... Um, a scientist, uh, a, a very well-known scientist, a Nobel laureate, used to come over and visit our our team and advise us uh, every year. And one day, I was feeling pretty down and depressed. And after like a long day advising the company, and we were at, having some drinks, he he said to me, "What what are you looking so down about, Safi?" And I said, "Well, you know, one of our projects that I was really excited about seemed to kind of." had some negative results in the lab. Doesn't look like it's going to work out. And he leaned over and he patted my knee and he said, ah, my boy, it's not a good drug unless it's been killed three times. And I thought of that as over the years, I kept that in the back of my mind. It's not an important idea unless it's been killed a few times, unless it's gone through those three deaths. And that's what the story of Akira Endo in Japan illustrates. The statins are probably one of the most important drugs of the second half of the 20th century. They've prevented tens of millions of heart attacks. And people think it came from, you know, Merck or Pfizer and Lipitor, but it didn't. It came from a young Japanese scientist experiment with, who had a crazy idea. What about if we created a drug that lowered cholesterol? And that idea was killed three times before it succeeded. You know, the first thing people said was like, well, there's no way that could possibly work. Every cell in your body has cholesterol. If you take a drug that lowers cholesterol, it's going to hit every cell in your body. You're going to die. So when early experiments came out negative, that's what they said, because we're, we're all smart biologists and PhDs, and we know this can't possibly work. Well, that was the first death when People said there's no way it could work and the dietary trials to lower cholesterol all failed. Then the second death came when he, he got excited, found a drug, found a molecule that looked like it was working in the lab and he gave it to animal studies and rats and mice, nothing happened. And that's when most drug projects, uh, research projects are killed, but he kept going. He had an idea, maybe there's something funny that's special to mice. Years later, they discovered he was exactly right. Mice have only good cholesterol. Statins lower the LDL or bad cholesterol. Drug doesn't work on mice, but it does work on humans. He kept going past another death like that, another false report, and finally persisted past those three deaths. And to date, that drug has sold a third of a trillion dollars. It made Merck the company that it is today. Unfortunately, he didn't get much credit for it, uh, although he deserves it. But the moral of that story is just what Sir James Black, that Nobel laureate, told me years ago. It's probably not a good project unless it's been killed three times. Okay, we're going to be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Safi Pakal, successful biotech entrepreneur. The Mentors is now in its fifth year. Make sure you don't miss future shows. Subscribe at our website, thementorsradio.com. That's thementorsradio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. 
At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of Bulletproof founder, Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feelgreat.vip to learn more. Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Naur. I'm a certified business and life coach, helping business owners increase productivity, profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance Six, money, health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to Balance Six, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel, and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago. But I assure you, my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with entrepreneur and loonshot author, Safi Bacall, a student of strange behaviors of large groups that put people in straitjackets and kill great ideas. We're talking about phase transitions that lead to the tyranny of bureaucracies. Remember, you can also listen to the show or any previous show via podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device at any time. Subscribe at thementorsradio.com. So you were telling the story about statins, and it brings to mind we're both in the biotech field. You uh, spent years in oncology. I think you're still involved to some extent. What I found was a great book called The Breakthrough uh, by Graver talking about the uh, emergence of immunotherapy, which is to jack up the immune system to kill the cancer and avoid radiation and uh, chemical therapy, chemotherapy as we know it. Yeah, and it's an amazing story about his journey, or that, that's not his journey, because he never saw the end of the story. But that was 100 years, really, it took before people understood uh, that he was right back, what, in the late 1800s. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about Col- William Colby uh, back uh, on the East Coast there and his story. Sure. You know, I I can tell you I have firsthand experience in this because we, uh, this is probably 10 or 15 years ago, we were developed, oh, actually more than that, 15 years ago, we were running a large clinical trial uh, for our lead cancer drug in metastatic melanoma. And you may, you may know that th- there are many different cancers. There are 200 types of cancers, but melanoma is one of those cancers that respond best to immunotherapy. So for decades and decades, people have been trying immunotherapy, ways to get the body's immune system, like during a cold, to start attacking tumors and cancers. And people had had enough. It's just so many waves of failures. And I remember uh, one of the most well-known physicians who works in melanoma, who was working very closely with us, standing up at a meeting saying, how many more of these trials do we have to run before we give up on this damn immunotherapy stuff. Two years later, the first drug, after decades and decades of work, uh, the first drug reported positive results for the first time ever. And the first drug wasn't the best drug. But the moral of that story goes back to very much what we just talked about with the statin story. It's not a good drug unless it's been killed three times. And that's the same thing with immunotherapy. People had this idea. They tried stuff. It didn't work very well the first time. And there's, there's something to that, which is pretty deep. The reason it's probably not an important project unless it's been killed a few times is because if it's never been killed, if it's just everything is sort of easy peasy, as my seven-year-old daughter likes to say, easy peasy, daddy, 
if everything's just easy peasy with your project, then probably someone else would have done it first. It's probably not that important. So with immunotherapy, people had this crazy idea and they first observed it. One of the earliest places is um, when people got tuberculosis. There was a small percentage of people when they were you got tuberculosis years ago, you went to the sanitarium for tuberculosis, that as soon as they got tuberculosis, um, their cancers went away, their melanomas went away. I'm like, well, that's weird. Turns out their immune system was kicking in. And so it just took decades to figure that out. And that's, that's the rule rather than the exception is, you know, Facebook wasn't the first social network. There were two dozen before them. Google wasn't the first search engine. There were about, it was the 18th search engine and everybody had written, everybody at the time that, you know, Google was out to raise money said, are you crazy? There's no money in search engines. That's just like a yellow pages for the internet. But people had missed the key that made Google successful. You know, how do you sell advertising next to a search result? Same thing, they'd missed what made social networks successful. So moral of those stories is the same as the moral with immunotherapy. It's probably not a good project unless it's been killed three times. You're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. This is Tom Laurie. We are with Safi Bacall discussing how to nurture crazy ideas that win wars, cure diseases, and transform industries. Now, as we talk about loon shots, one of the things that's so, uh, for me, and I'm a reviewer for Amazon, one of their top reviewers, so I've seen a lot of books over many years, and you know, culture's been kind of a hot topic, and everyone's got an idea about how you, sh- you know, organizational development people, but you've got a new, you've got a new twist on that, and it has to do with structure. Some people write about it, but it's the exception rather than the rule. Talk a little bit about it gets into the nurturing of these loon shots and the importance of structure. And I don't know if you saw it, but in this past week, Warren Buffett uh, recently talked to the new CEO at the Gates Foundation and then brought him out to Omaha and he warned him about structure. Uh, And as you know, uh, his organization is decentralized and it's done for a reason. But Let's talk a little bit about structure and your thoughts on structure and how that can facilitate or deter innovation. Sure. I, I think the, the reason it resonated for me is when I was a first-time CEO, when I was uh, in my early 30s, I read everything I could find about being a better manager and leader. And there was you know, the first few books and articles and essays that I read about were all about culture. And the first few that I read, you know, the first bullet points, you know, they all made sense and sounded good. But after the 50th or 100th or 1000th essay about culture, it all started to seem the same. And I also found that, you know, you'd see all these CEOs talking about how great their culture was, and they'd be quoted on these magazines. And then, you know, one week later, you'd open the paper and the magazine, you know, the company was gone. And, you know, whether it was Blockbuster or, you know, Enron, there was something else that was going on. And you can think of that as structure. People respond to incentives. When it, no matter how much the CEO pounds the table or pats people on the back or encourages stuff, when the CEO leaves the room, when the boss leaves the room, it could be a smaller team, a larger team, people are going to respond to the environment, the structure, the incentives you create. So you and I were talking about phase transitions. So the example I like to use is a glass of water. You can think of the behavior in the company like the behaviors of molecules in a glass of water. Most of the time, it's very liquid. The molecules are just running around. But as you lower the temperature, boom, right at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, that glass of water freezes. The behavior completely changes. Why? They're exactly the same molecules. There's no CEO molecule there saying, oh, it's 31 Fahrenheit. Everybody line up and let's get rigid. It just happens. They just do it. And you can think of temperature as one aspect of structure. It's the same thing in companies. If you create the right incentives, if you create incentives that encourage intelligent risk-taking and you reward that, even despite the occasional failure, which is one of the things they do, you know, Bezos and the folks at Amazon do 
very well is they encourage with the right incentives, the right behaviors, even when there are failures, you will get intelligent risk-taking and people sticking their neck out. If, however, you reward politics and what sounds good in a committee meeting and intentionally or not, that's what managers are doing. They're promoting the people who sound good at meetings. You will encourage politics. In other words, those structures that you create, what do you incentivize, are the equivalent of temperature. If you dial the temperature low, you will create a wildly innovative group. If you you know, dial it the other direction, you will create a very rigid group that shoots down new ideas. So that's one of the things that I talk about with uh, the many leaders, actually both in private companies, public companies, but also in military and federal agencies who reach out. How do we change structure to innovate faster and better? We're going to come back in a few minutes with our guest uh, mentor, Safi Pakal. Remember, you can now listen to our Saturday broadcast live anywhere in the world on iHeartRadio by clicking on San Francisco's KTRB, 830 AM, The Answer. This is Tom Lloyd, and this is the Monthly Radio Show. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org. Oathbook.org. Here at Mentors Radio, we've been working hard to help you succeed in every way possible. That's why we're proud to let you know about our newest find, BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com links you to a credit processing company, Cornerstone Payment Systems, that truly shares your ethical values and that can give you lower rates immediately. They don't just say it, they prove it to you. Their commitment to ethical behavior is rock solid. For example, unlike most other credit processing companies, something you may not have known before, Cornerstone refuses to process any porn-related business. They're not newbies either. The company we recommend has more than 50 years experience and provides 24-7 in-house support. See what they can do for you today. Go to BetterCreditDeal.com. That's BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com. Ugh, Bob, I'm so frustrated. Sorry to hear that, Sarah. What's going on? I feel like I'm spinning. I I make goals to make money, work less, spend more quality time with family. But the truth is, I never actually achieve these goals. Year after year, I try to do things differently, but ultimately nothing changes. What's the point? Yeah, I did the same thing until I saw a friend completely change her life in less than a year. I was shocked. She sounded just like you a year ago, but not anymore. Wow, which she do? She decided to work with a Brian Tracy certified coach named Christoph Nauer. Certified by Brian Tracy? He must be good. Even better. He guarantees results. He listens. It's very customized to you. That gives me hope. As a listener of the Mentors Radio, you get a free one-on-one Take My Time Back session. Don't wait. Go to balance6.biz. That's balance, the number six, dot B-I-Z to book your free assessment. Balance6.biz. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I'm with entrepreneur and loonshot author Safi Bacall, a student of strange behaviors of large groups that put people in straitjackets and kill great ideas. So, Let's go back to the strange behaviors, because when you were talking about these phase transitions, you can take people and put them in one phase and they'll act one way. And the same, I mean, this is back to your idea, same molecule, but different behavior. 
Exactly right. Imagine the, the way I sometimes describe it to folks who ask me about it, you know, CEOs or leaders or even people running small teams. Imagine you take a molecule of water and you drop it into a glass of water. Well, it's going to slosh around wild and free with all the other molecules in that liquid. But imagine you take that same molecule and you drop it on a block of ice. It's going to line up and be rigid. It's the same molecule, but two different environments, two different structures. So I'm spending some fair amount of time with folks in the military on helping them innovate faster and better. As you may know, we're facing, you know, in the last few years, peer and near peer threats, the kind of threats that our military hasn't faced in the previous 10 or 20 years. And we need desperately to innovate faster and better. And you find in those environments, you can take people who, if you put them in a small entrepreneurial company, would be wild and pounding the table with new ideas, but you drop them in the structures of the military where you get rewarded for doing what your superior officer did before you, and he gets rewarded for doing what he or she did uh, before, you know, following their superior officers, you will see that same change in behavior from a liquid to a solid. It depends on the structure rather than the culture. And sometimes that person from the solid, when they move to the liquid, can't lose their characteristics. I, I've had the experience, uh, as I'm sure you have in the venture world, which I've been doing for many years, recruit people out of a large corporation. They sometimes have a very difficult time adjusting to a startup company and the fluidity in a startup company. Uh, you know, they're looking for somebody to Xerox something or whatever. I mean, I could go into, we could probably spend a show on that, but it's been fascinating. And I will say, I came out of a large corporation as a company president, and it took me a, a good six months, to eight months to adjust as well, uh, to get really used to the flow of things. And I love the the fluidity of a small company. There's no doubt about it. The I, I worked also for a company called American Hospital Supply, which was highly decentralized. And this is what uh, Buffett has done with his company as well. Uh, I don't know that he's got very large groups in there as uh, our company did, but I found decentralization. I'm a big fan of decentralization and push, pushing things down to the lowest level. And I have a, a stepson who's a general in the Air Force. Maybe you'll run across him somewhere in your work, but talk a little bit from a structure standpoint. You know, we, this is a battle also in the United States politically, centralization versus decentralization. Uh, maybe you could touch a little bit on that from a structure standpoint. I think the key is less about central versus decentral and more about something I think of as learning to love your artists and soldiers equally. And here's what I mean by that. Imagine you're on a nuclear submarine. And I was actually just about a year and a half ago with an admiral responsible for transforming the U.S. Navy. And I was standing 30 feet from a nuclear engine. Imagine you're on a nuclear submarine and you're deep underwater a couple hundred miles from shore. You don't want to start hearing clanking noises from your <laughs> nuclear engine. That's not a good thing. At the same time, you don't want to be surprised by a new kind of torpedo. Either way, you're dead. Now, there's an obvious analogy inside company. You have your core franchise that you want to deliver on time, on budget, on spec consistently to customers with quality. But you also want to stay ahead of the curve with whatever surprising new product uh, your competitors may come up with or your customers may want. And the problem is those two things are opposite. The people who you want to work on the nuclear engine or the core franchise or your sales guys or your manufacturing guys, you want them to reduce risk. Do it the same way, the same time with as little failure as possible. The guys working on parachutes, you don't want them experimenting with a lot of stuff. You want the parachute to work the same way every time. But it's exactly the opposite with the folks working on the new. As we talked about earlier, it's probably not a good project unless it fails several times. What's the mean? bottom line here is you are asking two groups of people to do two opposite things. You're asking one group to reduce risk. You're asking the other group to take risk. Most leaders really struggle with that. And instead of liquid and solid, you just get slush because they're telling everybody innovate. 
Well, you don't want your guy working on a nuclear engine to just start pressing buttons randomly. Hey, let's experiment and see what happens. You need to love your artists and soldiers equally. The artists who are working on the crazy new things that are going to fail many times and the soldiers who are working to de-risk. So the key to the military, the key to making small, medium, or large-sized companies successful is separating your artists and soldiers or your artists and soldiers' time, creating the different structures for both where you encourage risk in one and discourage risk in the other. And then if you are the leader, and this is the hardest thing for leader that I see in, the one, in, the, in, the, in those that I work with very closely, learning to love both equally. Very often people grow up with the soldier mentality. You know, I want to uh, reduce risk. I want to focus on on time, on budget, on spec. What are my metrics? Six Sigma. And if that's what you like, you're going to kill your innovation people. You're going to kill new product because they're going to try to make everything work the first time. And that means you're just going to get very mediocre progress. So you have to do both. You have to develop two hats. You have to learn how to encourage both groups separately. That could be decentralized. It could be a little more centralized. But the main thing is create two structures, two separate times, two separate ways of working, two separate groups, your artists and your soldiers. And if you are the leader, everybody is watching your face, as you know, Tom. Everybody is looking, you know, they're looking at, is he twitching when he's saying that? Is he smiling? Is he happy? Is he angry? Or she you know, they're looking for signals and so many leaders unintentionally signal, well, we really only like the soldier stuff, which demotivates the other half or the vice versa. As one friend of mine who works at a major magazine says, you know, the leadership here comes in every, uh, you know, week or two. And they're always going on about the shape, you know, this, this, the latest shiny penny from our innovation group or our R and D team. And you know what that does to the rest of us who work in six days a week, nights or weekends? It demotivates us. We're, we're doing the hard work of putting out the job, uh, putting out this magazine every, every month and getting customers. And they don't say anything about our stuff. So if there's one moral or one lesson, learn to love your artists and soldiers equally. I've never been a soldier, but I have been an artist. So <laughs> we're going to come back to that thought in a minute. We're, we're going to be back in a few minutes with our guest, Mentor Safi Bakal, successful biotech entrepreneur and author of the wildly successful selling book, Loon Shots. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. Hey, professional business women. I know how busy your life is. To look your best, nails matter. The good news is I can save you a lot of nasty, chemical-smelling nail salon time. Just imagine, a perfect manicure in just minutes, at home, even while watching TV. No dry time, no smudges, no streaks, and your new manicure will last up to 10 days, often longer. I'm talking about 100% real nail polish. Yes, real nail polish, including top and base coat, all in one, that can gently be stretched for a perfect custom fit. Gorgeous, vibrant colors, soft pastels, gentle glitter, or can't-miss designs and nail art. You have options. For about $12 a set, you can even get some free. Choose your colors or designs. Receive them in about three days. Done. Everything you need is included. Polish easily removes and does not damage nails. Check it out. Nailsforme.com. Nails, the number four, M-E.com. That's nailsforme.com. Hi, I'm the executive producer of the Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of Bulletproof founder Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feelgreat.vip to learn more. And now... 
Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with entrepreneur and loonshot author Safi Bacall. We're talking about phase transitions that lead to the tyranny of bureaucracies, which we've talked a little bit about and uh, the rigidity that comes with um, moving from one phase to the other phase. There was a guy named Rayner. I don't know if you remember him. He was at Intel. He ran the venture group and he wrote a book called The Innovator's Manifesto. Does that ring a bell with you? I remember the title. I can't remember reading it. It's been a while. I mean, it's as I'm as you're talking and we're getting into the subject area. One of the things that came to mind was Rayner's book, and as you know very well, in the venture capital community, as the funds have gotten so large, they want to invest in later and later stage type deals, and they want uh, to know that they're investing in a sure thing. Uh, and as a result, we both know that there are no sure things, and even later stage companies are going to get smaller returns, but you still have a very high failure rate. And Rainer goes through historically and shows that if you invested in things like the loon shots earlier and had a portfolio approach, uh, the funds would actually make a lot more money in terms of returns to their investors. But it's that risk element and uh, the the fear that investors have. They want sure things. And since you've been down that road with your own company and raising money, let's just talk a little bit about the entrepreneur out there and raising money and the challenges that they might have with things that are really outside the norm and conventional wisdom tells people to stay away from it. It's really what Loon Shots is about as well, right? Yeah. I th- you know, one of the first things I ask when someone calls me in and says, Hey, you know, we're struggling to innovate faster and better. Um, you know, can you help out our team or our company or one of the first things I ask is, how do you know? How do you know you're struggling to innovate faster and better? What are you measuring? And they usually answer, uh, what do you mean? What are we measuring? I say, well, if you hire me, how do you know that I will have helped you? Are you measuring like, you know, the number of BuzzFeed articles that your executive team is emailing back and forth? That doesn't mean you're innovative, but you're emailing some BuzzFeed articles. So it comes down to encouraging people comes down a lot of it to measurement. What you, as you know, kind of rule number one in management is if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So one of the things that makes it easier to have discussions internally and externally is to talk about what percent of our budget in just a fact-based way and do some kind of independent analyses what percent of our expenses are going time is going into our cruise ships, our franchises, our main stuff? What percent of our budget and time is going to our speedboats? Little things that you know go a little bit into a different lane, but then they come back to the mothership safely. And then what percent of our budget or time are going into the helicopters? Something very far away. And then you ask them, well, how much do you think you should be investing in these seemingly crazy ideas? And they're all like, well, you know, you're, when you put it that way, you know, if we had 0% in these crazy ideas, well, then we, we're back to being on that nuclear submarine being surprised by some kind of torpedo that kills our ship. We need to have some investment. And you can think of investing in loon shots as insurance, disruption insurance. If you have no investment in loon shots, it is inevitable. One day you will open the paper or click online and you'll read about a new product, a new feature, a new kind of customer, a new partnership or alliance in your industry that takes out your business. Just as the telecoms did when Google one morning announced, hey, we have this new idea for mobile phone operating business and we're going to give it away for free. That was a loon shot. That was a crazy idea. We're going to give away some software to run mobile phones for free. And that came close to destroying the telecom companies. So the way to convince folks is you want to be investing in these loon shots. You can think of it as disruption insurance. It's like buying fire insurance for your house. 
just because it didn't work, your house didn't burn down that year doesn't mean it was a bad investment. You're listening to The Mentors Radio. We're with Safi Bacall, and we're discussing about those crazy ideas that win wars. And a lot of these crazy ideas people find are hard to fund, but that's what we were just talking about. Let's, I, I, I've got a lot, I, as you would imagine, just a lot of things that I'd love to cover. And I want to get to the rules. So I'm going to make sure we cover the five rules uh, that you have to know that um, what I call the five rules of loon shot. Maybe you could just... Uh, Go through those quickly and also explain uh, while you're in there what the uh, Moses trap is. All right. The five rules. The first one we talked about, expect the three deaths. It's not a good project unless it's died several times. So if you're a leader or a manager, even you're pursuing your own project, it's you want to be looking for those projects where other people have stumbled. That's probably where the gold is. Second is mind the false fail. So what do I mean by a false fail? I'll give you an example. When Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook and he was going around to raise money, everyone blew him off saying, look, social networks don't make any money. Why? Well, you look at this other social network that's right here that was big at the time called Friendster. And it's, it grew and it grew and it grew. And then after six months or a year, people went to the next one. They started going to another social network. And they said, you know what? Social networks are just like jeans. People wear them for a season, then they shift to another one. So everyone blew off Zuckerberg's idea of Facebook, you know, now a trillion dollar company, because they said they looked at the fail of Friendster, except for one guy who understood, used Friendster and said, I, I'm not sure that they're failing because it's a lousy business model. And he went and he got their retention data and found out the people are staying for a long time. He discovered that Friendster was a false fail. It was a flaw in the experiment. People were staying a long time on the site, but the problem was that it was crashing. So mind the false fail means be careful when you get a negative signal. Is it really a problem with your idea or is it a problem with your experiment? So mind the false fail. It could be something really big. The third rule, listen to the suck with curiosity, LSC. If you're an entrepreneur and somebody, and this is a really important one, and, and you've been passionate about idea and somebody you know, says, yeah, you know, I don't really like it. You're urged to punch them in the face or say, ah, it's a great idea. You're, you're a moron. You're an idiot. You, know, you want to call your friends or your mother for reassurance. I'm on the right track, aren't I? But that's a mistake. The really great entrepreneurs and scientists listen to that suck with curiosity. They don't just say, acknowledge it like, you know, a good uh, listening, they actually probe. It's very difficult conversation. As you know, from the venture capital world, they'll say, that's a fantastic idea, even they, if they think it's the dumbest idea they've heard all month. It's a great idea, you know, but my, um, uh, you know, I, we can't invest in this in our fund for this reason, or I need to go walk my cat today or, you know, whatever nonsense excuse. Listen to the suck with curiosity means really probe. Fourth rule, Love your artists and soldiers equally. And we talked about that. Be very careful of how you signal what you like. And finally, be a gardener, not a Moses. And that means don't stand up on the top of the mountain, be the person picking the holy loon shot. Your job is to nurture the idea in the artist side and bridge it over to the soldier side and keep that dynamic equilibrium. The idea is going back and forth. So those are the five rules very, very quickly. Okay, very good. Thank you. We'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Safi Bacall, the author of the best-selling Moonshots. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Naur. I'm a certified business and life coach, helping business owners increase productivity, profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance 6, money, health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to balance six, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel, and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago. But I assure you, 
My coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org. Oathbook.org. Here at Mentors Radio, we've been working hard to help you succeed in every way possible. That's why we're proud to let you know about our newest find, BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com links you to a credit processing company, Cornerstone Payment Systems, that truly shares your ethical values and that can give you lower rates immediately. They don't just say it, they prove it to you. Their commitment to ethical behavior is rock solid. For example, unlike most other credit processing companies, something you may not have known before, Cornerstone refuses to process any porn-related business. They're not newbies either. The company we recommend has more than 50 years' experience and provides 24-7 in-house support. See what they can do for you today. Go to BetterCreditDeal.com. That's BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with entrepreneur and loonshot author, Safi Pakal. We're talking about loonshots and those things that transform industries, cure diseases, and win wars. Before we leave, I want to make sure we also differentiate between, um, I guess there's two types of loon shots. Maybe briefly, you could talk about the two types. Sure. And I actually, I get asked, uh, I get asked about this very often, um, especially in terms of this, several CEOs have called and said, listen, come to come to our executive teams and tell the Pan Am story. So there was the, the story I tell there is about the rise and fall of Pan Am. Pan Am was a typical company with a product focused CEO where he loved loon shots. The problem wasn't that he, he only wanted more of the same and incremental stuff, but that he only liked one type of loon shots. At Pan Am, he loved bigger, faster planes, bigger, faster engines. He brought, he was a guy who brought, this was Juan Tripp, the founder of Pan Am Airlines. He was a guy who brought jet travel to the masses. So there's many companies where there are product type CEOs and they think innovation is all about product, 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 bigger, faster, smaller, some cool new gadget. But Pan Am went bankrupt. Why? Because when they faced, the industry faced a crisis, it wasn't that product loon shot that won, but it was the second type of loon shot, strategy loon shot, or I call it an S type loon shot. It's these crazy little ideas that don't require any new technology. For example, in the case of the airline industry, it was flying hub and spoke or frequent flyer miles or uh, actually giving away your reservation system that your internal agents use to every travel agent in the world for free. And now they're using your system. Now, who did that? American Airlines, Bob Crandall at American Airlines. Right after the big crisis for the airline industry, 300 airlines went bankrupt except for one, American Airlines. And they didn't champion any fancy new technologies or new types of planes or new types of jet engines. They just came up with clever strategies. And if you look at the course of what Apple has done or Amazon has done or even Google has done, there weren't fancy new products. What won for them is very clever strategies. So as a CEO of Centra, what was the biggest mistake you made while running Centra? 
Well, for me, I come from a very data-driven, fact-based, analytical background. And I kind of took that in with me too as a young leader and focused on tasks and data. And it took me many years before I realized you need to lead from the heart, not just from the head. That you get things done as a leader and a manager, not just by focusing on the how and the what, but through trust, through relationships, and even through love, as cheesy or crazy as that sounds, you got to love the folks you lead if you want to have a big difference. So that took me a long time to learn how to lead from the heart and from empathy and from love. And I have to say, my wife was a big help in that over the years. And that leads to the next question with all the people that you've met throughout your career and your life. What is it that one thread that runs through those that have the greatest joy and happiness in life? I also learned this one quite a bit late in life. I wish I'd learned it earlier. And the, the people that I've met over the years, whether they're entrepreneurs or scientists or even other writers that seem to go through life with the greatest joy are the ones who've learned to separate happiness and achievement. There are two different variables, if you like to think mathematically or analytically. You can be have achieved a lot and be miserable or you can achieve a lot and be super happy. You have to figure out what drives that happiness. For me, it's quality of relationships of people around me. Do I have goals that are personally meaningful? And am I learning and improving? None of those depends on achieving. They're all about, am I growing? Am I learning? What is the quality of my relationships? And so the most happy people have separated those two things and they focus intentionally on happiness, on meaning, and relationships. Well, thank you very much for your time, Safi. We've really enjoyed it. We've been talking about loon shots and how to nurture crazy ideas with Safi Bacall. We will be posting a link to his book, Loon Shots, on our website, thementorsradio.com. Make sure you subscribe to future shows when you're there. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Lorry signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.thementorsradio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.